Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 17 to 38. That's on page 1117 in the Church Bibles. And then Steve will come to speak straight after that. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must, return, they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that, the prison, and, that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone out about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. There it is. Okay. Uh, Where did I get to? His blood. Okay. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not connected, I convicted, coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept and embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again when they accompanied him to the ship. Uh, Let's pray again um, as we come to look at uh, this chapter. Um, Father, these uh, words were written thousands of years ago um, to a group of people very, very different to us. Uh, but in your great grace and providence, you've, um, you've kept these words for us. Um, and so I pray now as we look at them together that, uh, that you would uh, give us what we need this morning from your word. Um, Lord, wherever we're at this morning, please would you encourage us and nourish us? Would you correct and rebuke us? Would you train us, um, whatever, whatever we need, Lord, would your word do its work in our lives. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, well, we've been um, thinking together um, uh, about chapter 17 to 20 and uh, listening to Luke describe uh, the Apostle Paul, um, his second missionary journey as he's travelled across these five major cities in Asia Minor, Ephesus, uh, Corinth, Athens, um, and others that I've forgotten, Thessalonica. Um, and we've, Luke's been writing to give us um, certainty that Jesus is continuing um, his work of seeking and saving the lost through his spirit-filled people. And as we come to chapter 20, the end of uh, the section that we're looking at for now, um, we get the only speech that is given to, that's aimed at Christian um, hearers in the whole of the book of Acts. Uh, and it's particularly aimed at church leaders. Uh, last week, we saw that Paul's really um, giving them a, a model of what it is that they're to do as they lead. This is what authentic ministry looks like. Uh, we began to see last week that the first thing he says is, look at me. You remember my life amongst you, my humility, my love, uh, and my, my teaching. That's what I was about, life and words. Uh, he shared his life with them, loved them deeply, and, and didn't shrink back from telling them the whole uh, will of God, he says. He called them to repent, to turn away from sin, and to trust in Jesus. Well, as we go to the second half of the speech, and it's, it's one speech, but we, obviously we split it into two, uh, instead of looking at Paul, he's going to say, I want you to look at yourselves uh, and each other. So authentic leadership is, uh, and authentic Christianity is governed by people who look at themselves and who look at one another. It's there in verse 28. Just look down at that with me. Here's our key, sort of key verse, if you like, key instruction. Keep watch over yourselves and, over, and all the flock of which God um, has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, he's writing, again, similarly as we saw last week, he's writing primarily, I guess, the first audience here is the Ephesian elders, the people that are sat on the beach at Miletus with him, listening to his instruction. Uh, but there is much for all of us uh, as we think about the pattern of the Christian life from these verses. Uh, what is it that the, these, the Ephesian leaders need to hear? Well, they need to know that they've got to keep watch on themselves, uh, watch on each other, uh, but they've got to do it in the context of God's grace. Just look down at sentence 32 with me. As he ends his speech, he says this, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So while there's a command here, something to do, it's to be done in the context of, the God, and his, of God and his grace who will enable you to do it. And that's what we're going to think about uh, briefly this morning. Firstly, though, we have to keep watch on yourselves. That's what he says. Keep watch over yourselves, or literally pay very careful attention to yourselves. Uh, now, I think we quite like that in our culture, don't we? Um, Self-care is big money in our day, isn't it? From holidays uh, and half-term breaks and all the rest of it to grooming products... Uh, we can all indulge, we agree, into a little bit more me time. Let's have a, what is it, a pyjama day. Um, or, you know, let's close the front door. Uh, let's shut out the world uh, and just look after ourselves. 
But when Paul says, keep watch over yourselves, he's not talking about a pyjama day, though that might be a useful thing to do. Um, he's not talking about me time necessarily. No, he's, he's saying, keep watch of yourselves because there's a real danger. There's a real danger in the church in Ephesus. As he's handing over the baton to this church to take on the work of um, uh, bearing witness to Jesus, the, uh, the apostolic message about Jesus, there's a really surprising threat that Paul wants them to be aware of. It's there in verse 29. Look down at that with me. Look at verse 29. It's a real surprise. Because he says this, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. I mean, imagine being sat there on the beach listening to Paul and him saying, look, when I go, there's a danger coming and the danger is not out there. It's amongst you. It's got echoes. We've seen this a few times, but it's got echoes of Jesus with his disciples, hasn't it? In the upper room, one of you will betray me. Not I, Lord, not I. And then they all, they all abandon him eventually. See, we tend to think, uh, we naturally think that we're good people who are together and able. That we're not really a threat to anybody. And if there is any threat, then it is a threat from the outside, from, from that group over there. It's not me, it's them. You see that played out in, if you have the miserable experience of reading any Twitter. It's all them, it's not me. But the message of the gospel, the whole will of God, the, the repentance and faith in Jesus that Paul has been preaching in Ephesus, um, it's, it's not well done Hooray for you. God's going to give you what you deserve because you're so wonderful. No, the Bible message is simply we need help. And only God can give that help. And only because he has helped us in Jesus can we turn away from our sin and know forgiveness again. That's been Paul's message. And it wasn't a message that he's proclaimed once and then moved on to something else. No, read through the passage again and you see he says, I kept telling you with tears. I kept warning you. I I kept saying, repent from your sins and put your trust in Jesus. See, that's what the message of grace and believing the message of grace does. It, It causes people to proclaim that message of turn away from your sin, but... Predominantly, it causes people who believe that message to look in the mirror and say, oh man, it's bad. And it's much worse than I can see. And unless Jesus helps me, I'm going to ruin myself and I'm going to ruin people around me. But as I see that, clearly, Jesus' love is bigger and stronger and greater That's why we've sung the songs that we've sung this morning already. Because as we look away from ourselves and and look at the cross and and remind each other that Jesus has died for us, that he's freed us from the penalty and the power of sin, and while I'm waiting for the day when he will will finally rid the world of the the presence of sin, that there's all the help I I need to, to look and see our God in his death and, and resurrection. 
That's the gospel. Repent and believe again. Get up again and, and walk again in his grace. I don't know. Imagine a, a proud father. He's on sports day and he stood at the sidelines watching his uh, son or daughter uh, get ready to, to run the race at sports day. They're, they're ready to go. They're all excited. Uh, and then the, the whistle goes or, or whatever goes and, and the race is up. And, and off they go, sprinting hard. Uh, face beams with excitement, sees parents watching proud and, and then stumbles and trips over and falls flat on their face. But then the parent runs over, picks him up and says, keep going, keep going. And gets a few more metres and then whack, like Lisa Simpson. Keeps going down. But the parent just keeps, get up, keep running, keep running. Beaming smile, keep going. It's all right. Friends, we have all fallen over this week, haven't we? Probably a hundred times, in a hundred different ways. We're all sat here as we sing those songs, ashamed, guilty, despairing, wondering if, if, if that's it now. And God says in the gospel, get up, keep running. It's all right. Paul says there's a threat to the church and the threat to the church is that the message about Jesus might be twisted and changed. It might be stop believing that message and follow me instead. Follow the leader. Not Jesus, me. Is what they're saying. I'm not saying that. That's what they're saying. They're bad. (laughs) So Paul says because that's the danger that's coming you keep watch on yourself. You keep watch on yourself. Pay very careful attention to yourself because the danger is amongst you. The danger is not them out there. It's here. You are the people who will twist God's word to make it say what you want it to say. You are the people who will want to take control of people's lives so that they make much of you rather than much of Jesus. You are the people who are in danger of being like Ezekiel. Ezekiel's warning about the false shepherds in in the, the latter chapters of the book of Ezekiel, where those people used God's people for their own gain. We're to watch our lives. See, leaders of churches aren't to be sergeant majors or CEOs, uh, certainly not to do just what the sheep want them to do. We'll, we'll think about that in a minute. No, they're to be people who keep pay careful attention to their own lives because they're people who are passing on the message that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And they know that's the message they need more than anything. And it's the reason I think Luke includes this speech. I'm sure Paul, we know that Paul taught many things to the church as he went around encouraging the church. But here's the thing that Luke wants us to know. So whether you're whatever kind of leadership you have in church today, from leading music and the kids to being, uh, serving as an elder, keep watch on your life. 
Because the danger is if we don't, we will stop believing the gospel. There's loads of research in church, church sort of church leadership stuff about why is it that churches give up on the gospel, on give up on proclaiming the message about Jesus. And the pattern, very simply put, seems to be that the first generation of a church believe it and proclaim it. They sing about it. They delight in it. They, they enjoy that message together. But what they don't do is pass on that gospel message faithfully to the next generation. What the next generation do is that they assume the gospel. They start to think, well, we know about Jesus and his grace. We've, we've got that, but we're going to move on to, to more impressive things. We're going to do something significant. We're going we're to grow something here. But don't, don't just tell us the old, old story. Give us something new. Give us something fresh. Give us something powerful and impressive. And off they go, still believing the gospel. It's still in their, do- their church documents. It's still something they recite at their members' meeting. But they stop believing it. They stop holding on to it. They've assumed it. And the result is that the third generation then deny the gospel. They turn away. Over and over again through church history. And really soberingly, Ephesus is no longer a church. By the time Paul writes 1 and 2 Timothy, the wolves have come. And by the time Jesus in AD 90 through John John in the book of Revelation warns Ephesus that they've forgotten their first love, very quickly the church in Ephesus has gone from church history. Friends, we're the first generation at the minute. And we're 10 years old, which means we're moving towards the second generation. Let's keep clinging to this message, this message of grace. Because who we are is what we'll pass on to those around us. And if we're Jesus people who see their sin and turn away from it and keep going back to him and his grace, that's what we'll pass on to the next generation. But if we start hiding... Pretending that, well, it's not that important, there's something better, there's something more, something, something more tangible to take hold of than Jesus and his grace. Well, it won't be long before we start twisting the scriptures to suit how we want to live. To start saying things that people love us to hear so they might cheer for us rather than anything else. Start living and leading in such a way that, that encourages people to make much of us. And really, sadly, you don't have to read much Christian news at the minute to see that that's what leaders have done. Church leaders that we've grown up and admired and trusted, seen turned away because they've wanted people to follow them. So pay careful attention to yourselves, Paul says. So brothers and sisters, do you feel like you're gradually becoming less clear on what the Bible says, because you're fearful of what people might think of you. Pay careful attention to that. Are you building up secret, sinful habits that you know that you should repent of, that you know you should tell someone about, but you're, but you're just ignoring what God has to say about that? 
ignoring a challenge, keeping Jesus and his people and his word just at arm's length. Don't come near me. Don't let, don't let the light shine on that bit. Pay careful attention to that. Um, I've often said, and I found this helpful, that, that we're all one bad decision away from disaster, that we're all, we're all a mistake away from causing trouble, big trouble. But as I've reflected on this passage this week, I don't think that's quite right. I mean, it's true in one sense, but those big decisions that would ruin a marriage or ruin a friendship or ruin my kids or ruin a community or ruin the reputation of the gospel, those big decisions that I might make, they're born out of thousands of decisions to not repent, aren't they? It's the husband who decides to stay at work late because he wants to avoid helping with bath time. That decision to put self at the centre. It's a thousand times that you enjoy the gossip about what's going on in other people's lives because it makes you feel better about yourself. It's the lingering over unhelpful images on that website that you deleted your history from or the novels that you read that allow you to fantasise about a different life. It's staying late at work to nurture that friendship that you know won't be very helpful for you. It's the angry outburst or the resentment that you're nurturing in your heart. If it's there, Paul says, look, pay careful attention to that. But he also says, look, there's grace for that too. I commend you to God and the word of his grace. You don't have to linger in it. You don't have to stay there. It might be difficult to turn away. It might mean a difficult conversation. But there's a good shepherd with nails through his hands, with outstretched arms that says, come, get back up. Run again. Let's not wait for the big crisis to unfold. Let's not wait for the big decision or the big big moment that causes chaos. No, today... In the sins that you see, let's repent and believe the gospel. Let's enjoy grace together. I hope you know that this is a church where no one is sorted. No one has it together. No one's got the life that you, you should have. No, we are beggars who know where bread's to be found. And it's in God and his lavish grace. So 10 years on Rylands Community Church, let's keep watch over ourselves. But we're also to keep watch over God's church. And I think there's a bit of a tension here. Because leaders are not sergeant majors. We're not CEOs. We're not head teachers. Uh, we're not, you know, Ofsted coming in. No offence, Dave. We're not, we're not here to, to rule your diary or your bank balance, to tell you who you should marry and who you shouldn't and all those things. So we might give advice on those things if you ask us. No, we're to lead with our lives on show, with tears in our eyes because of our love for God's people, and we're to lead with humility. We saw that last week. But we do have a responsibility, Paul says, to protect, to guard, to keep watch over God's flock. It's the image of a shepherd, isn't it? keeping watch over a flock. And a shepherd doesn't let the sheep do what they want. No, a shepherd has to protect and has to create boundaries, has to whistle for the dog to 
you know, come over here, get away from the danger. And so we're going to have to say things that, well, you won't like sometimes. We're going to have to point things out that other people say that are wrong or untrue, that need to be repented of. And the primary way that's to happen is by teaching. It's what we're doing this morning. It's what we try and do through community groups and, and in all, hopefully in the future in all sorts of different ways. To teach the whole counsel of God is what Paul says here. To have the Bible open, to sometimes have to preach through the night, even if that means people fall out of windows and die, as we saw a couple of weeks back. It's to teach the word of his grace, to not shrink back from what the Bible says. But I think that can worry us, particularly in our particular day where we've seen church leaders who have overstepped the mark, leaders who are bullies, who are overbearing and controlling and manipulate. And do what Paul warns against here, acting like wolves who devour. So how do we keep watch? How do we shepherd? But keep pointing you back to grace. Well, I think the answer is in verse 28. Look down at it again with me. Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. See what he says? Simply, the church, they're not yours, are they? Leader. They're not your people for you. They're God's people bought by Jesus, and any gifts you have in leadership are given to you by the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, it's our conviction as a church that we appoint leaders as members, as congregate as all church members. Uh, We don't have a bishop that has put me here and said, listen to him. No, you've put me here and say, we want to listen to you. And that's lovely. And as we do that, as we raise up leaders and as we discuss with one another and we pray and eventually we vote on it in a meeting, yes, we appoint leaders, but Paul says here, no, but it is the Holy Spirit that appoints leaders. It's him that equips people and gives them what they need to, in order to lead. Now, I think that's really sobering and really helpful to remember because I am not up here because of my rugged good looks, am I? As good as, good as they are. I'm not here because of my wonderful gifts, my insightful teaching, my powerful oratory, or as you all know, my remarkable organisational excellence. Despite those wonderful things, I'm here because the Spirit, by His grace, has given me gifts and other leaders as well in whatever role that you're in. He empowers us. He empowers you. But what does He empower us to do? Well, to oversee, to shepherd, to look after, to pastor, and the different words that you could translate that word oversee, His church. And who is his church? It are those who have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. You get the point, don't you? You, in no way are you here for the benefit of us leaders. You belong to him. You've been bought by Jesus. That should make us tremble as leaders. Really should. 
But God the Father, Son, and Spirit, who loved their people with a love that took Jesus to the cross to spill his own precious blood, is the God that has appointed leaders to oversee his church. That's (laughs) scary. (laughs) What a responsibility. But it's true for all of us, isn't it? It's not just true for leaders. The person that sat next to you this morning is someone who belongs to God because Jesus died for them. That's how precious they are. The child that you teach in junior church that winds you up because they won't listen, Jesus died for them, spilt his precious blood for them. Changes your perspective, doesn't it? As you think about leading and who it is that you're talking to. It's breathtaking love. These people are people that Jesus Jesus died for. Uh, Yesterday, Evie and I finished, finally, the um, Harry Potter books and got to the end. I have to say, surprised me how emotional I got towards the end. It was welling up as you listen to J.K. Rowling's just stunning words describe Harry's love for his friends such that he goes to meet Voldemort, not full of strength, but in weakness, unarmed, willing to to lay down his life. It's moving to watch that be described, someone dying for their friends. But Jesus didn't die for his friends only, did he? His love was that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, While they drove nails into his hand and mocked him, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's amazing love. Breathtaking grace. So how dare we think as leaders, how dare we think as members of this church that we could abuse or be cruel to or manipulate or bully or demand that people make much of us? rather than Jesus. They were to keep watch over the flock. And we do that by loving them and pointing them back to the wonderful grace that's in Jesus. See, what makes a wolf a wolf in this chapter, not in biology? If you look down at verse 29... What makes a wolf a wolf is the twisting of the word of God so that people will follow them, not Jesus. Twist what the Bible says for their own ends. And so we're to to teach the Bible faithfully and make it straight, is how Paul uses it in one of the letters, to make the Bible clear for people. This is what it says, and this is what it means, and these are the implications that it has to believe them and to follow them. And so it's why, as leaders, we need to keep grace right at the heart of what we believe and what we teach. Because the danger is that it's just in my heart that we might say, like, follow me, not the king. And so that's how Paul ends, doesn't it? We're to be on our guard, verse 31, and we're to remember grace and God, God and his grace, verse 32. That's, that's what will build us up. 
That's what will keep us to the end as the set-apart, sanctified people. Remembering God and the grace he has poured out in Jesus. That's what Paul's done. He's followed the way of Jesus, the chief shepherd and leader of his people. The chief shepherd who poured out his life for his people. That's what Paul's done. In everything I did, verse 35, I showed you by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It's more blessed to give than receive. That's his life. That's what he's done. It's not been about money or prestige. He didn't spend his ministry just working with those people that would make him look great. No, he went after the weak. Went after those that didn't make much of him. He did what Jesus did. He he gave himself to those who couldn't give him anything back. Ministry was not about what he could get out of it, how he could be fulfilled, how he could flourish. But he was always thinking, how can I give away more than I'm getting here? It's a cross-shaped life, isn't it? That's the message of the cross. We lose this life to gain the next. It's what Jesus did, and it's what those who follow Jesus should do. A ministry shaped by a life that understands that the biggest threat to the church is my unrepentant sin and my refusal to come to Jesus for help. If I live like that, then I'm going to end up in dark places and I will lead those around me to even darker places. So let's free, uh, flee from sin. Let's keep a close watch on ourselves. And let's keep a close watch on each other that we would keep believing and proclaiming and speaking to one another the message about Jesus and his grace. Because with God's help, like we can fight sin. It has no power over us anymore. You've been freed from it. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to. It's not inevitable. So don't wait to repent. Don't wait till you feel better. Don't wait till the cold has gone. Or that person says sorry. Don't wait. No, come now to Jesus, just as you are. Turn away from sin and turn towards him. Father, would you expose in us, right, right now by your Spirit, what we need to turn from? That maybe that little thing that we've just just been ignoring. Lord, whatever it is, would you show us in our hearts, and would we turn towards Jesus? And will we trust him again? And ask it in his name. Amen.